Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you? I'm I'm getting sick. So this oh, is no. uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 soldiering through and, and recording this podcast while uh the storm clouds of influenza are on the horizon and, and they're they're arriving soon. We'll uh we'll try and have this be uh uh to the point and uh hopefully take your mind off of the impeding or impending sickness. So are you All drinking right. anything tonight besides hop- Theraflu? <laughs> I yes, I am I'm actually drinking some oolong tea. Um, mm. so yeah, yeah, I'm trying to pre-soothe my sinus and whatever's. <laughs> there you go. The, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to drop medical terminology there. Well, how about you? What are you drinking? I decided to invent my own drink tonight. I'm feeling oh. feeling feeling I'm gonna call it the AC. And it's nice. uh gin, lemon, luxardo, and cherry herring. And that is in a descending order of uh yeah, So it's like a, it's like an aviation but with hearing instead of creme de violette. Uh, yeah, pretty similar. And yeah, I like it. Definitely has more of that uh, built-in sweetness from the herring. So right. I quite like it. I, I, I'll post the recipe on the, uh, on the subreddit later. So, All right. So, uh, Caleb, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us, why did you name it the AC? Well, I thought as we are ramping up for uh, Model 3, we could uh, continue our uh, previous history of deep dives into the technical subsystems of teslas and uh constituent parts of evs in general so i thought today we could talk about uh, electric motors and motors in general and uh you know their history how they actually work um what kind of motors tesla uses um, what their history has been from the roadster on uh, what previous vehicles have used uh, before the teslas and just sort of what are the inherent strengths and weaknesses of electric motors in comparison to internal combustion engine mo- uh, engines. Um, so, yeah, I thought we could sort of spend, spend today's episode digging into that um, since I would Drop expect... Drop a little science. Oh, yeah, a little science, some electrical engineering, some physics. Um, and I think, you know, many people may have some experience playing with little motors in science class, maybe in third or fourth or fifth grade. And then that's sort of their, their extent of playing with motors or knowing how motors work beyond being a participant in uh, fans and such. So Yeah, or, or watching uh, Mr. Wizard's World, or I guess oh, for the Mr. younger Wizard folks. Mr. Wizard was awesome. Yeah. Well, for the younger folks, it's probably Bill Nye the Science Guy. I think that was the sort of transition. That's true. But he, I, I got a little, I got both, so. <laughs> you're, you're a hybrid? I'm a hybrid. I'm, I'm a betweener. So, um, yeah, so the cool thing for Tesla is that Nikola Tesla is the namesake for Tesla, um, but not because of uh, battery stuff, but because of motor stuff. Um, and uh, they actually mentioned this in one of their blog posts, and it's not that hard to see. And, and um, so, yeah, Nikola Tesla, uh, inventor of many things, uh, but was actually uh, one of the inventors of the AC induction motor. Um, and so if we think back uh before the ac induction motor there were there were dc motors um with direct current uh, yeah but so one of, can we so, can we uh, drill into like what is the difference between ac uh alternating current and dc direct current yeah so uh dc is what you would get from like a double a battery or nine volt or um and basically it sends electrons from one side of the battery to the other so it's just a constant loop of electricity in one uh, one phase and um so it flows from the pot well yeah flows from 
one side of the battery to the other. Uh, where yeah, it's AC, like a static voltage differential. Yeah, and then AC is going to alternate between uh, positive voltages down through zero, down to negative, and then back up in sort of a sine wave style uh, at some frequency. And so it's going to alternate um, between uh, positive and negative voltages. And that's what you get when you plug into a plug in your house these days. Um, and so it's just a very different um, application of uh, a voltage. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the difference. And one of the things back in the 1800s was that we talked about this a little bit, was that uh, Edison was actually focused on DC, uh, but one of the challenges of DC is that it's very difficult to transmit at long distances because it's hard to change the voltage up and down. Um, and so for very long distances, if you're going to have uh, something that you plug into the wall for uh, home use or for uh, industrial use, you'd really like it to use AC um, because you would just use the current coming out of the wall. Yeah, I believe so, it was the battle between what Westinghouse and Edison, and uh, yep. most famously, uh, Edison was trying to prove that AC was dangerous, and he electrocuted a live elephant uh, in mm. in one of his less uh, statesmanlike things. Uh, kind of an appalling incident. Uh, but if you Google yeah. that, yeah, you can read all about that that horrible uh, incident. Yeah. So the uh, the challenge here was. Uh, Tesla was connected with Westinghouse and uh, trying to push AC uh, as the distribution, and eventually they won out. Um, and so he wanted to come up with a motor that would that would deal with this. And um, essentially, uh, it, it hadn't been invented at this point. And so he he came up with the uh, the polyphase AC induction motor. Uh, he applied for the patent in 1887, but uh, he actually invented it around 1883. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things funny, funny enough was that Tesla, even back then, acknowledged that uh, AC induction motors would actually work really well in cars. Um, but the problem was that uh, at that point, it was really difficult to convert DC, which is what you store in batteries, uh, or what batteries produce, direct current, uh, into AC uh, to drive those motors. And so one of the missing pieces, which we'll talk about later, of the inverter uh, wasn't easily uh, created back in the... Uh, 1880s so um so we we didn't really get ac motors there so um you know the ac motor eventually became the backbone of the industrial age um for for, for motors inside of factories as well as household appliances uh, military applications um, one of the things in, in prep for the show i was watching was a a video from the from the 50s produced by the u.s air force uh part of the training process for um for folks in the Air Force uh, in the repair teams was a video on how AC induction motors worked because they were so prevalent. Uh, it was one of the key things they needed to know how to repair um, and, and service. So I just sort of found it really funny that it was this military video about, about motors. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> sort of funny. Um, and, yeah, they're you kind know, of everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I would bet most people who are listening would have at least one or two in their home. Uh, if you have a fan, if you have a mixer, um, refrigerator you, yeah refrigerator has one for sure so those are they're used everywhere and you know one of the big advantages over uh, dc motors is that they're both simpler um they so they have fewer parts they're generally lower cost for the same performance uh and they're, they're more reliable 
and the reliability is a really big component um, for the early adoption and also why they're, they're great for vehicles. Um, and the, the big issue with DC motors is uh, in the past, they've typically had brushes um, be a part of them and they, uh, they wear out and uh, get dirty and the um yeah and like the brush so the as far as i understand it correct me if i'm wrong but the big difference um is that in ac motors the the electricity is flowing around the outside and the thing that spins is not connected to anything um, yep. the dc motors however actually put electricity into the thing that's spinning um which means that you have to have some sort of reliable connection to a spinning thing which is naturally going to start wearing which i believe is where brushes come in Yep, exactly. So, so the way that so the the basic construct of a of a motor and and uh, is there's generally sort of three parts. There's um, uh, bell casings, um, the end bells. So if you think about the the metal bits that are the front and the back of the motor, the case. Uh, so that's going to be the the, the bells. So that's where the casing goes. Um, there's going to be a stator, um, and that's the stationary part of the motor and then there's a rotor which is the rotational moving part and the the main thing to think about in a in a motor is what we're trying to do so we're trying to take uh we we want mechanical energy we want to spin something um and the input we have is electricity so we have to solve for the equation of how we take electricity and convert it into this mechanical energy of rotation to do some sort of work. Uh, in Tesla's case, uh, spin, spin the wheels of the vehicle to move it forward, right? So that's like the most basic thing we're trying to do is take electrons and turn them into rotation for the wheels. So one thing that we know, uh, so, so one of the things that's really uh, good at, at um, motion or converting motion using sort of natural forces is is magnets and so a magnet uh, has both the north and south pole and if you've ever played with magnets well i'm sure everyone has uh, <laughs> when you try and put two north poles together they repel if you put two south poles together they repel and north and south both attract um so that's one sort of general principle and important truth about uh, living in in this universe that's very important to motors um <laughs> because motors will leverage this attraction and repelling um, to actually uh, think about t turning that into motion. So, so that's one piece. And then the other really important piece is that um, electromagnetic forces, um, so magnets can be created through electric, electric forces. Uh, so electricity running through a coil um, creates an electromagnetic force um, which is, you know, a way to turn electricity into a magnetic force. Yeah, and this is something that you probably did in your physics class, maybe in high school, or, or certainly if you took like a physics 101 in college, you would have gotten to the either moving uh, electric, uh, or I'm sorry, moving like a copper wire across a magnet, or there's a, if you have a copper pipe and you drop a magnet through it, it like descends really slowly. There's all these like kind of neat little physics demonstrations around this idea of inducing current. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when you take those two concepts together, knowing that if you run electricity through wires, you can create a field and that you know that, uh, the North and every magnet has a North and South pole. And that if you, um, you can use the, the attraction and, and repelling, uh, to, um, to, to sort of, it, 
use that to make motion. So if you th- most most people think about magnets as sort of like a bar magnet or sort of the horseshoe magnet. But if you actually think about like a, a bar magnet and split it up into two parts and sort of sp- how would you, you place magnets around a, a circle, then you can actually start to think about, okay, if we put uh, a, a magnet in the middle of this circle and it let it spin freely, if you were to sort of ignite the... Um, the positive. So if you were basically to like make the magnets around the circle, uh, change their, uh, polarity, you would start to see that the magnet in the middle would start to be attracted to one sort of the 12 o'clock. And then you would turn that to the opposite and make the bottom, the six o'clock, uh, be, you know, swap its polarity. It would want to, it would want to move. The magnet would want to switch its direction. And it's that changing of the field in this circular space that is the basis of how all motors end up working. And so the DC motor has a particular way of of working using direct current, but the AC motor actually uses the fact that you're going to alternate the current to basically create these um, uh, coils around the uh, coils in the stator. So the round part, uh, sort of the, the, uh, tube of the motor and then the the middle part the the uh the rotor is actually (laughs) free stance sort of not touching anything it's just in the middle and it becomes a magnet through the electromagnetic field and when it becomes a magnet then it also wants to uh follow the uh polarity of the of the outside coils and you pulse the electricity such that the coils around will sort of move in phase, sort of like uh, that spinning light game you'd play at Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. And it tries to chase the polarity in the, in the uh, stator. And this all sounds, it might sound a little confusing, but it's, it's relatively simple um, principle. And it's that motion that ends up becoming the spinning part of the, the motor. And what's so fascinating about the AC motor is that uh, the the core is actually not a magnet. It's just like um, it used to be uh, uh, iron. Then it was aluminum core, and now Tesla uses a copper core because it's way more conductive. So you can make a stronger magnet. And so the stronger the magnet, the, the magnetic force in the center, and the quicker uh, and the higher voltage you can put around the outside in the stator, the the stronger the the motor itself is. And it's sort of the really, really uh, valuable uh, reality that you can crank up a motor to be extremely powerful by adding uh, more voltage, uh, better conduction, um, conductors to the core, and making it such that there's never a point around that circular uh, stator where the voltage goes to zero so you can you want to have like the maximum delta in the voltage so the attraction and repelling is as strong as possible um does that make sense yeah yeah and and there's a nice sort of uh synchronicity to it is that the that's Mm -hmm. probably not the word i'm looking for but essentially like there's some uh, nice parallels to how the electricity is generated which is kind of the reverse of this where we're mostly spinning turbines that are using the same principles to generate the alternating current and then the uh, it's eventually ending up in a car <clears throat> excuse me uh where it's using the same principles to uh drive the motor 
Yeah, exactly. So regenerative braking is this process in reverse. So instead of electrons from the battery going into the uh, the stator uh, to make the rotor move, when you do regenerative braking, if you stop applying electricity to the stator and now motion is coming from the rotor, it's going to create an electromagnetic field because it's a conductive bar inside of a coil. And so then it's going to push electricity back. And it also provides braking because that same uh, electromagn electromagnetic force um, that you would feel when you're sort of doing the opposing magnets towards each other is going to be uh, slowing down uh, the wheels. And so it's just a very, very elegant thing because nothing is touching. <laughs> it, it's so reliable because the rotor is the only thing it's connected to is little, little ball bearings on the casing. And so you can have very, very low friction and uh, the, nothing breaks down because it's just these ball bearings and you dissipate heat either with water or oil um, and it's just electricity flowing through wires. And if you use, you know, high quality materials and, uh, you know, most metals and things, you're not going to run it so hot that it melts or anything <laughs> like that. And so these things can run for decades and really not need any servicing. Uh, and in contrast to an internal combustion engine, which is inherently building up crud inside of itself um, and has so many more moving parts. So, you know, it, a motor, an electric motor has one moving part and uh, an, uh, an internal combustion engine, uh, you know, it depends on the engine. But in general, many of them have just in the, the engine itself over 200 moving parts. And so that's friction, that's wear, um, and then the actual uh, uh, gasoline or um, diesel leaves residual carbon that builds up inside the engine. And so it's just such an elegant solution to have an electric motor, especially an AC induction motor. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm still amazed that internal combustion engines work at all. So it's, uh, it's I know there it's incredibly complex. How much, how much effort went into trying to make that thing work when you compare it to the relative simplicity of a, uh, induction motor that you could, you know, teach a, you know, a 10 year old, an eight year old to, to make a demo induction motor. It'd be very difficult for a 10 year old to, to make a internal combustion engine, uh, at home. Yeah, and you know you can make a at a science fair you can make one, and you can make a a potato battery to power it, and you're off and running. Exactly. Yeah, and then you just get one little solar cell, and you've got it running forever. I mean, that's <laughs> the the crazy thing. If you attach a solar uh, a solar voltaic to a little little motor, um, it it could go for quite a while. You would need the you would need the uh, um, inverter, which we'll talk about. But um, so this simplicity wasn't lost on early engineers uh, when they were thinking about cars. Um, you know, some of the earliest cars over 100 years ago in the mid-1800s were actually electric cars. Um, and they were made by cars, uh, companies like the Electric Car Company, uh, Rausch & Long, uh, Detroit Electric. Um, they made thousands of these cars, and customers really did like them um, because they were very simple, uh, they didn't break down. Uh, and they were starting to get electricity in their homes. When um, you probably didn't need to crank start them like you did with uh, gasoline engines back then. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, they, they had uh, electric start. Um, the problem was that, you know, they didn't have, uh, it was range, range anxiety and battery problems, like just like we have today. Um, the power cells that they use were, you know, kind of difficult to recharge and, um, you know, very low travel distance. Were those using just like lead acid batteries? They were even using more, even less complex battery cells back then, like yeah. really, really basic, kind of a couple steps up from potato battery kind of level, like really <laughs> not complex, um, mechanical style, like very, very mechanically split batteries. Um, and what ended up happening was that uh, World War I really put a big pressure on needing oil uh, and, uh, and gasoline and engines uh, for, for wartime usage. And, uh, and so our production of gasoline increased and then it transitioned to, uh, to usage for, for regular uh, domestic use. Um, and electric cars just didn't get the investment in time because gasoline is incredibly uh, rich in uh, you know, power density per gallon of gasoline. Uh, and so it was really the gasoline uh, side of things that pushed internal combustion engines to, to be the favorite, um, less than, you know, the engine itself. So it's sort of funny that, uh, even though the generation of that motion, uh, was way more complex, the availability of the fuel was, uh, and sort of the portability of the fuel, uh, led people to, to overcome the craziness of the internal combustion engine. Um, and so that's sort of how we ended up where we have been for, uh, you know, up until the 90s when electric cars started to make a resurgence. Cool. And I, I guess we should also point out the uh, ability to completely ignore any of the externalities like pollution and whatnot. Yes, that too. Uh, the fact that the pollution uh, side effects of burning fossil fuels have uh, largely been ignored by uh by governments and and hence uh, the companies that burn them uh certainly did not retard the growth of um uh internal combustion engines the way that uh they probably should have um or at least the cost of them would have led to electric uh, alternatives to have been uh developed sooner um and so one of the one of the first cars that the, which I think at some point we'll probably do a deeper dive into, um, but that really ignited the electrification of vehicles again uh, was the EV1 made by General Motors uh, from '97. It was unveiled in '96, but from '97 to '99, 1999, uh, they sold a well, they didn't sell, they leased a whopping uh, <laughs> 1,100 vehicles, and. Um, were they all whole, in California? Was that they were? Yeah, I think they were all in California. They they um, they got down to San San Santa Barbara and a few other parts of of California. Um, yeah, I and, don't remember if they were mostly or all, but yeah, it was almost all in California, if not all. Yeah, and and it was to de deal with CARB, um, the California Air Resource Board. Um, but what was interesting was that this was really when General Motors invested a lot of energy in making a really great motor uh, electric motor and uh, and so the battery packs were really pretty primitive they used uh lead acid batteries so they, they put together uh, 26 you know standard car batteries 12 volt batteries in series um which gets you to 312 volts and uh at the amperage they had they were up to an 18 kilowatt hour battery so the model Model P100D is 100. Uh, these were 18. Uh, they had a second battery pack that eventually got to 26 kilowatt hours. But, you know, really low energy density. Um, but the 
the motor itself was actually extremely impressive. So they um, they used a three-phase AC induction electric motor. So um, the three-phase part is, if you think about regular AC in your home, um, it's just single, single phase. Um, so there's one sine wave that's going up and down. And the, the downside with that within an electric motor would be at some point that that line crosses zero volts and therefore the motor wouldn't do anything. And so you need to find a way to uh, make it such that there's never zero voltage uh, in the stator so that the rotor always continues to spin with actual force instead of, you know, coming to a stop. And so three phase is sort of the most common uh, motor style we use now. And it allows you to actually create uh, the sine waves and arrange them in such a way that uh, there's never a point when the motor has zero voltage. So that's what that's meant to, that's what that signifies, three phase. Um, yeah, and three, three phases is what gets pushed around through the transmission, through the uh, transmission lines and distributed uh, all the way around. Usually it gets stepped down before it goes into anyone's houses. So in your house, you'll only have single phase. But if you ever look on top of the, electric poles you'll see like three usually on the very very top with the crossbar there'll be three wires going across three lines yep yeah those are the three phases and um yeah like you say it's it's the sine waves out of sync so if you kind of think of it as like um children on swings if they're all on the same swing set um essentially like the you can chart the motion of a child on a swing kind of as a sine wave and if you imagine like all three of the children might be swinging at the exact same time and that would be all the phases locked and then if you imagine like one child starts and then the other child starts and then the other child starts and they're all going at different times, that would be the three phases being out of sync. That's a good, that's a good way to think about it. And if you thought, think about when the, when the child is perpendicular to the ground at zero voltage, uh, you wouldn't want them all to be at the no mo- per- perfectly perpendicular. Uh, the, the, uh, they have no motion. The motor has no motion. Um, yeah, you can kind of imagine that that uh, if you have three phases and you want them all spaced out, like when one child was perfectly like at the bottom, one child would be at one end and the other child would be all the way at the other end and then just let them go. And, and yeah, you'll stay uh, perfectly separated, like what, like 100, 120 degrees. Exactly. That rotor will just keep spinning. Um, and uh, and so the the motor they used in the EV1 had 102 kilowatts um, of of power, um, which equates to around 137 horsepower. And that was at 7,000 RPM. Uh, and, and it also had a 110 pound feet of torque, which is, uh, in the, uh, SAE 149 Newton meters. Um, so not a super powerful motor, but, um, but pretty good. And, um, so you have that motor, um, and it was a single, uh, front wheel drive motor, and um, it was also single speed, um, just like the Teslas are now. Um, so single speed, integrated, uh, just gear reduction, going to a differential. Um, and the differential is what takes a single rotation of the motor and turns it into the two sides that are going to go into the two wheels, right? The, the, left, the front right wheel and the front left wheel. And also allows the... Uh, the uh, you know, the outer wheel to rotate a bit faster when you're going around a turn. So uh, really a very simplistic set of gears that um, are going to step down the speed from the rotation because y- your wheels don't spin at 14,000 um, 
sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they don't spin Ideally. at seven thousand RPM. Yeah, um, unless you're on ice and something t- terrible is happening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it would reduce it. Um, so there's some reduction gears and the differential. But it was very simple. So they they did a good job there, and um, you know that weighed about 150 pounds, which was like about a third the weight of a traditional GM engine, which would come in at around 450 pounds. So much much lighter and uh and definitely a lot simpler and it was very very peppy it got to zero to 60 in eight seconds so even in 97 we had really good motors um to to do this so the did you mention the the documentary about it oh no yeah you should mention that oh um yeah so (laughs) there was a there's a documentary about it i believe it's called who killed the electric car is that right yeah yeah, yeah, because it had a a dedicated, uh, very devoted uh, following. But like Caleb mentioned earlier, it was uh, leased vehicles, so no one actually owned them. And at the end, uh, GM collected all of them and destroyed them and didn't let anyone keep them. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's a spoiler alert for the documentary. But uh. <laughs> we haven't seen many EVs, run, uh, EV ones running around. So they 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 were all crushed. Sorry to spoil the ending, but I think there's a couple in museums, aren't there? Or I yeah, I think, I, I think a dozen or so have been kept for museums and uh, engineering works and things. But um, yeah, they, uh, the team that worked on that, though, um, a lot of them ended up going to uh, a company called AC Propulsion, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, what's interesting is now GM, uh, basically a decade later, uh, yeah. No, two decades later, sorry. Yeah. Two decades later, that seems insane. Two decades later has now come out with a Bolt, uh, which we've driven and we've done an episode on and um, got some details on the Bolt. And so they're also using a very simple uh, single motor, front wheel drive, just like the EV1. Uh, It's a 150 kilowatt uh, motor with 350 Newton meters of torque. So um, it's about uh, 50% stronger power so compared to 100 kilowatts so 150 versus 100 of the ev1 and the 350 newton meters of torque versus 150 so it's a more powerful uh, motor than they had in the ev1 so there has been advances uh in motor design and also you can control what you want there so um you know the we now have stronger batteries and they can go longer so they could get better performance um what's interesting about the bolt uh, is actually that it's a it's a fixed magnet. Um, it's a chromium rare earth magnet in the center. So this is actually um, a uh, it's a derivation on the on the direct current, um, but it's actually still AC. Regardless, basically, instead of uh, a inert core of uh, copper with um, uh, that is spinning and the it turns into a magnet through the electrical field, it has a permanent magnet in the center. Um, just a different design. Um, GM actually designed it, but uh, LG Chem built it, um, and it's uh, it's has oil inside of it uh, for the cooling. Because one of the one of the byproducts of the electricity going into work in the motor is that some of, it's not a hundred percent efficient, and so uh, some of the efficiency loss is uh, is turned into heat. And so you need to cool it. Uh, and so GM uses oil. Tesla uses a, a, a water-based coolant system. And uh, yeah, just sort of a single speed transmission as well. Uh, gear reduction um, going into the differential. So 
The Bolt EV is is based on a very similar technology that GM had developed uh, for the EV1 20 years ago. So um, uh, nothing nothing earth-shatteringly different happening here uh, where (laughs) the types of things you're seeing in internal combustion engines to try and make them more efficient is contortionist uh, and, and kind of insane the amount of engineering work they're putting in. And this is sort of like, well, we just made another motor. Nothing, nothing really to see here. Uh, you know, a, a, a graduate student in physics or electrical engineering would be able to do this pretty easily. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. And as, as we mentioned before, it's it's a little bit weird for these legacy car companies that um, the vast majority of their expertise is built is invested in designing and building these highly complex internal combustion engines, and that that presents a weird opportunity going to. Uh, going to an electric world yeah exactly i mean you spend if you if you're spending so much of your company's time one of the few things that all the major oems do is build their own engines and design their own engines and if you're now living in a world where building a motor isn't isn't necessarily the most differentiated part of your business um, they've got a really tough spot now tesla actually has been working on motors for quite a long time and uh, so the Roadster, they, the original premise was that they were going to license the design of the car. And we'll talk about the Roadster in another episode as well. We're spawning a lot of episode ideas. But, um, the, <laughs> I'll write uh, these the, down as we go. Yeah, I know. The, uh, the original idea was we'll use um, the, the basic chassis and, and design of a Lotus Elise, and we'll use the electric propulsion from a company called AC Propulsion, which, as it turns out, is actually it was started by the guy who worked on the EV1. So he went out and said, you know, we've got lithium-ion batteries now instead of uh, nickel metal hydride and lead acid. We could make electric cars a lot more affordable these days, and this was in like the early 2000s. So they thought they could license their technology, uh, but as they tried to, they realized that both the battery pack cooling system from AC electric uh, AC propulsion wasn't quite up to snuff for production. It was good for demos, but not good for production. And that the... Uh, the motor was built around actually a, a transmission, a two-speed transmission. And the problem was that they couldn't find a, produ- a producer that could make the two-speed transmission that could deal with all the, the torque that the motor made. And it was, it was, they went to really good uh, transmission makers and they went through three different manufacturers, uh, suppliers to try and make it. And they, they couldn't do it. And, um, Elon actually has said publicly, like he remembers flying back from one of the gearbox, the last gearbox supplier, and talking to JB Straubel, their uh, their CTO, and and saying we're really screwed um, because they they couldn't get it to work. And basically, and this, sorry, this was this was when they were designing the Roadster, so there were no Roadsters built or anything at this point. This was- no, they even they had the first Roadsters, like they had already pre-sold some of the Roadsters, so they were oh, okay. the, the the clock was ticking, and the pre-production ones they were showing off had the two speed, but they had it locked in the second uh. gear because it wasn't reliable. <laughs> and um, so they actually ended up shipping the first Roadsters um, with a two speed gearbox, but it was locked in the second gear. Um, and what they ended up doing was they went back and redesigned the motor and they realized that redesigning the motor such that it had the, the characteristics to have both higher RPM and higher torque. So it could go through one gear instead of two gears um, it was actually uh, much, much simpler. And so instead of having a gearbox with a clutch that had to deal with this immense amount of torque, uh, they decided to build a motor that was better capable 
uh, and they actually looked to the EV1 as inspiration because the EV1 uh, actually was able to get up to like 80 miles an hour. Uh, it was software limited to 80 miles an hour. So Tesla actually figured out how to, how to build a motor that had the characteristics they want. Um, and they, they took motor construction from a um, overseas Taiwanese contract manufacturer they worked with um, to, uh, to in-house um, here in, in Silicon Valley. Um, and that, uh, yeah, they, they basically built the competency of making these motors themselves. And, you know, some of the things they talked about when they actually uh, released a new version of the drivetrain for, uh, for, the, for the Roadster was an improved inverter. And we haven't talked about it yet, but we've alluded to it. So essentially, if you take a, uh, a, like, you know, a fan or a, a mixer and sort of plug it in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have the sine wave of 60 hertz in the U.S., um, which is uh, what our AC runs at. To modulate the speed of the motor, um, you need to adjust the um, the frequency of uh, of the of the sine waves, uh, and so essentially, uh, you need a, a device to um, both convert the DC power into AC, uh, and then also to modulate the the phase um, frequency you want, and then also the voltage you want to send. So that's what Tesla calls their uh, uh, sort of their electronic management system. And that's where a lot of the technology and, and design came from for Tesla, because the EV1 was actually a, uh, an analog um, electronic control. And when they tried to use it, they really couldn't even understand how it worked. Um, so they went to a digital one. Um, and so that was one of sort of the first big technology breakthroughs for Tesla was f figuring out how they were going to do this uh, in sort of a digital solid state uh, uh, inverter, as well as the motor controls, because you have to map the uh, the, the accelerator pedal to some amount of uh, voltage and um, and frequency for the motor, um, and so that's where a lot of the work comes from, because uh, you've got this really high voltage DC source. And you need to convert it into alternating current into three phases, and then you need to decide at what voltage you want to ascend it to the motor. So that was a lot of work in the early days, uh, and that's what led to them really being able to start to understand what the limits were for performance of their motors, and then using that to go into the Model S, um, which was going to get another version of the motor, uh, a new version of the battery pack, and just continuing to iterate on their power electronics. So you can see like the types of skills that are needed to make an electric motor drivetrain work really well are electrical engineering and software engineering separate from an internal combustion engine, which is going to be mostly uh, mechanical engineering and more recently electronic engineering. And in the case of uh, Volkswagen, you know, software manipulation uh, to, to deceive systems. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know the the thing you really need with an electrical uh, an electric motor is software and electrical engineering skills. So again, the difference in what Tesla's doing from traditional automakers uh, in terms of the talent is is really really different. Um, yeah. So, the um, oh yeah, I was just gonna say that the yeah the speed control is is always the most complicated part. The batteries are pretty simple technology, and motors are pretty simple, like we've mentioned. Um, 
And if you've ever done any work with robotics or RC cars or anything like that, you know that, yeah, there's like the speed controllers are the the critical point of failure uh, and, and usually investment as well. They're expensive yeah. and you have to like figure out how to dissipate the heat and get everything hooked up. And yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting problem using a taking what is essentially like just a simple power source and then a simple motor. And that's where all the magic happens is that controller in between. Yeah, and Tesla wants to have these the whole drivetrain last a million miles, and so when you look at the the induction motor itself, that seems plausible. Um, but when you then look at the inverters and the cooling systems and everything else associated with it, uh, that becomes more more troublesome because if you've got people running these super super high performance modes, we've even seen Tesla put some software limitations on the super crazy P100Ds and such. Because it's just so much amperage running through uh, the electronics uh, that then go into into the motor uh, that they don't want people to you know blow fuses and burn things out. And so, as they continue to improve their inverters, the the physical limitations of the motor are actually such that they can keep pumping more amperage and voltage into the into the motors and get more performance out of it. And so, it's just really really cool that. You know, if you can figure out a way to deliver more power to the electric motor, it can take it. Where a uh, internal combustion engine is fixed at its creation, um, unless you add like a supercharger or turbo to it uh, for its output. Where an electric motor, it actually has a higher dynamic range of future possibilities if you can figure out how to deliver more electricity to it um, at uh, you know at a at a safe operating temperature um yeah and i think the other interesting part about the uh electric motor too and as far as future applications and i guess current as well with the d models is that uh you can like you mentioned you're starting to hit limits of uh, as to how much power you can push to a single motor but you can actually have two motors going and have them both working at like you know whatever half the power or yeah maybe n power and then you get two n uh, out of it uh, or you can even go to like four four motors and have like motors on each wheel, and then they're even they can be a quarter of the size, and you only need a quarter of the power going to it. And with the uh, obvious uh, increase in, or slight increase in in like wiring complexity, but uh, yeah, you don't have to. You have a much better chance of taking a single electric motor to four smaller ones than you do making a internal combustion engine four times larger. Yeah, and, and you can see this in Tesla's own diagrams of the Model S because if you if you get just a rear-wheel drive Model S, uh, the it has a slightly larger rear motor. If you get just a regular D without performance, they use two smaller motors, front and rear. And then if you get a D, a dual motor performance, it keeps the same small motor up front, but then it puts back the large motor that's in the single motor configuration, if that makes sense. So sure. they have two motors. They've got the larger motor and the small motor, large motor for single, just rear wheel drive, two small motors for all wheel drive and small plus large for performance. So, you know, that that gives them the ability to really uh, mess around with the sort of power output of the motors. Uh, the current draw, obviously, the the larger the motors, the uh, the more dr- power they can draw. So, getting to 100 kilowatt hours and, and larger battery packs means that they can actually 
pull more power out of those packs faster as well, um, which then allows the uh, rotational force of that rotor to be faster, uh, which will create more power. So the faster you, the more energy you can charge into the motor and the faster you can switch the, uh, the, the phases, uh, the, the faster that thing is going to spin. And so you'll be able to turn the wheels of the car faster. And the other really great thing, to your point about having smaller motors and more of them, is that it also not only lends to uh, you know, efficiencies of the cost of producing those motors because they've got less copper in them and they're going to be less complex to make, um, but they're also going to uh, allow you to make sure that the vehicle is going to perform better because if you have one motor up front and one motor in the rear, um, you've actually got the ability to control the speed of those wheels independently uh, in a much more precise manner because it's digital. Um, and if you end up going to four motors, one per each wheel, um, you then don't have to have a differential and you can turn the wheels at exactly the speed you want to correct for understeer and oversteer, uh, as well as traction control problems. So eventually we may see that Tesla has four motors, uh, one on each wheel, and they'll have smaller motors for the less performance models and really beefy motors for the super performance models. And then you're going to have the maximal amount of traction possible and you'll get to basically what the physical limits of those tires are for the fastest zero to 60 speeds. So <laughs> it'll be pretty, pretty nuts. Um, and then the other thing is you wouldn't have to use all the, um, you wouldn't have to use as much energy uh, per, per motor. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like really, really powerful sort of ways to adjust uh, the dynamics of the driving uh, system where in a traditional internal combustion engine, I don't know of any production vehicle that had two motors and two engines in it. Um, <laughs> Maybe some drag racers or something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But like a passenger car has one engine and that's the best you're going to get. So then you have to figure out all these tricks for four wheel drive stuff um, with electric motors. It's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah, I think you, in that case, you'd be adding cylinders, right? Like just going yeah. to like, you know, v, V10s and V12s and whatnot. Which now we're choosing to go back from because V10s and V12s use more fuel because each of those cylinders needs fuel. Um, yeah. And then if you make the cylinders too small, it's just sort of wasted friction. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's major, there's major advantages to an electric, engine, an electric motor. You know, it's more efficient, so it uses more of the energy to motion and less to heat. Uh, a regular internal combustion engine is going to turn you know, maybe, uh, you know, 30 or 40% efficient. So the majority of the energy is actually going to heat, um, where an electric motor could be 90 to 95% efficient. So hugely different usage. And that's why, you know, you can still make a car work with a hundred kilowatt hour battery when that's sort of like using three gallons of gasoline. It's kind of nuts. Um, <laughs> they have so many fewer parts, right? So we've got one moving part in an, in an induction AC motor and around 200 or so in internal combustion engine. And that's not accounting for the transmission and clutch, which is one of the, one of the things that goes wrong in internal combustion cars. Um, and they're easier to service. So you have less, you know, if you do have to do something on the motor, um, it's a lot easier to troubleshoot what's wrong. Um, you get the regenerative braking. So you actually create energy because it turns into a generator. Um, 
And, you know, because of the software uh, that's controlling them, uh, you can make all-wheel drive that's far better than what you could get with an internal combustion engine. So, you know, from pretty much every major aspect, uh, you know, one of the things we didn't mention really was, and it's so obvious because it's something people mention all the time, but the other thing is that internal combustion engines don't get max torque until many thousands of RPM. And so you need a transmission, A, to move you up through the power band, which is generally pretty narrow, um, but also acceleration on many cars is pretty terrible because they just don't have enough torque um, at, at low RPMs, where an electric motor has zero, at zero RPM has full torque um, because it's the greatest delta of sort of uh, motion in that electric field. Um, and so it's going to get the full amount of work when it's moving from no motion to motion. Um, and essentially, it just means that every electric car you drive will generally have pretty good acceleration relative to its um, the size of motor. And Teslas in particular, we've just seen them blow through uh, acceleration records for zero to 60 um, in the, you know, the four years or so since the Model S has been around, and they continue to make improvements. Um, and so sort of just inherently, electric drivetrains are going to have better performance characteristics, better longevity, and eventually lower cost, and, and, and they are lower cost. I mean, the same Tesla motor system is cheaper than a Bugatti Viron or a Porsche Spider that it, that it beats. So once the battery costs come down, which we're going to talk about soon, uh, batteries, uh, you're going to be able to have an incredibly performant car if you want it uh, at a price that was sort of impossible before. And we're already at that point with the supercar level performance with the Model S. Um, but we're, we're going to be very close to, uh, you know, very soon passing it being impossible for a thirty-five dollars or $40,000 internal combustion engine car to come close to what a Tesla or future uh, electric cars can do. So there's just, there's like so little downside. Or, or on the, the there's also a uh, ongoing trend line towards autonomy too. And at a, is are the is the price on the car performance going to get low enough while you're still actually driving them, or are you going to get to the point where yes, you your car technically could go zero to sixty in you know your thirty thousand dollar car could go could go zero to sixty in like three seconds, but it won't because it drives itself and it just sticks to sane parameters. True. One of the things that will still be useful for the fleets, though, is the drivetrain longevity, right? So right, right. if these cars are now going from 5% utilization to like 80% utilization, that's a huge Im- increase in the number of miles per day, per year, per decade that any of these individual cars is going to be expected to do. And if you could have a car that goes half a million miles or a million miles compared to 100,000 miles or 200,000 miles on the same drivetrain, you could either afford a five times more expensive vehicle, or if it's the same price, you're going to get 5x the ROI on it. And so you're going to definitely choose an electric vehicle. So obviously the interiors may need to be refreshed, similar to what happens in airplanes where, you know, every <laughs> five or 10 years they change out the internals, but you may still be flying around in, in, in an airplane from the 80s or the 90s, even if they've, you know, refreshed the interior. Something similar may end up happening with these vehicles that are going to go into the ride-sharing fleets. Um, and so it's actually that piece that I think is what's going to really accelerate electric uh, vehicle usage um, and adoption is going to be the fleet usage um, so quickly being economically the right choice 
that it won't make sense um, to use internal combustion engines for these ride-sharing services, um, as well as the fact that the autonomy features require higher voltage and more, use more electricity than most cars can, can provide. Uh, but we'll talk about that with our battery episode. <laughs> cool. I also find myself wondering, as the electric cars come down in price and hit more of a mass market thing like, a, like the Chevy Bolt, is there going to be, or will there even be the possibility of some sort of like mods, some sort of modding culture where mm. you could either imagine like downgrading your performance to get like extra long uh, range or probably more likely the case, like installing thicker wiring and a software upgrade to get like drag race performance out of your Chevy Bolt. I'm, I'm sure Chevy's software is going to be... Uh, pretty well hardened against it but uh, i don't know ne never bet against the jailbreakers i guess yeah i think i think the the analog it makes me think of is overclocking right so yeah. intel and amd will release a certain chip but actually they have more headroom in their capabilities than uh than they publish and uh if you have the right cooling you can overclock a cpu and make it run faster with more voltage it's like very very similar to the, the principles that we're talking about here. And yeah, I could definitely see people modding their Chevy bolts um, to, to, to push through more voltage, maybe change out the inverters. Oh, I read a short story about this one recently, something about upgrading firmware of electric cars. If I can think of it, I'll, I'll put it in the, uh, or if I can find the link, I'll, uh, I'll put it in the uh, show notes. But yeah, anyways. Continue. Yeah, so I think, I think that's <laughs> definitely going to be sort of the modding of the future is, is not going to be uh, folks getting under their car on a, and jacking up their car, but fiddling with their computer and plugging it into the Ethernet port of the car and, and getting more performance out of it. So um, we've already seen this with racing chips in, in some of the modern race cars where they, uh, they've got a lot of software tuning uh, the engines. Um, and I think that trend is, is clearly continuing to the electric vehicles. And this is what Tesla's doing. It's just they're doing it first party, is continuing to tweak the software, continuing to tweak the firmware of their inverters uh, to get you know, fractions of a second better performance through an over-the-air software update. Um, it's just, it's really, really intriguing. And it's all powered by the fact that uh, the electric motor doesn't, you know, doesn't have physical limitations uh, as, as sort of um, strict as an internal combustion engine does. And it doesn't degrade at the same rate, uh, given more, more, uh, more fuel, more engine capabilities so yeah it's, it's all really really cool and um you know they're smaller they're lighter they're cheaper they last longer they have more performance per kilogram of, of weight um and so once we get the battery stuff figured out we're going to be able to have incredible performance vehicles uh, at very low cost and to your point it's just going to be sort of irrelevant when they're driving themselves but um you could imagine you know going at a pretty fast clip and not really having uh any problems if the cars are platooning with each other so be pretty yeah, good to be cruising at 200 miles an hour on the highway and really smooth with air suspension <laughs> all right uh well on that note uh do you want to close this one out yeah so if anyone has any uh thoughts or questions for us uh suggestions for future episodes uh as we all are um in bated breath waiting for model three um, you can uh, tweet at us at the Tesla show on Twitter. You can uh, find us on Reddit at r slash the Tesla show. 
And we also have our website, theteslashow.com, where you can see uh, an episode, uh, all of our episodes, as well as comment on them. And uh, subscribe to us in Overcast or iTunes or any of the places you uh, like to fetch your podcast from automatically. I so like Castro. That, yeah, I use Overcast. Shout out for Castro. <laughs> I have Castro on my phone as well, but uh, I tend to use Overcast. They have a new design, new, uh, new update. It's pretty good. Excellent. So, and we now work in the Teslas, apparently. So we changed the way we're hosting our files, and apparently that did the trick. So uh, people can Excellent. now listen to us in tune in via their Tesla Model S's and X's. So it's kind of fun. A little uh, recursive there. <laughs> Excellent. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye.